Good morning. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming, for being here. We'll go ahead and get started, kind of walk through what we're going to go through this morning. Let me, uh, let me open this with a word of prayer. God, we thank you for Jesus being a Savior who looks on us with compassion. And so, God, I pray that this morning you'll help us in our time together, encourage us, encourage us with his character. And also, God, I pray that you will help us in particular for those uh, here maybe who are struggling and, and walking through a season of life where uh, they're struggling at some level with anxiety or perhaps uh, wanting to serve those around them. God, give us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'll go ahead and tell you we've got uh, seven weeks together. Thank you for being here this morning, and if, uh, if you plan on being here the whole time, I'm going to just kind of chart us through what the next several weeks are going to look like. So today, we're pretty much just laying a foundation for, uh, I'm not synced up here, Ian, I don't know if, uh, if I've lost it or if you could check. Today, we're pretty much going to lay a foundation for what's to come, so the in coming weeks, we'll kind of get into more of the, I don't know, the, the nuts and bolts, the technical aspects of it a little bit. Great, thank you. Um, but today is going to be kind of just a step back, a look at uh, this idea in general. Then next week, we'll begin defining fear, anxiety, and depression. In other words, kind of understanding terms and, and how each of those interacts with or affects our lives. And then kind of the, the longest uh, two sections will be three and four here, diagnosing fear, anxiety, and depression, kind of understanding how to, at some level, assess that in yourself or others, and then treating fear, anxiety, and depression, and kind of what some approaches uh, to that might be. The final session, or maybe a session or two, depending on uh, this, would be to answer your questions. We could do some of that live, kind of my other suggestion would be that as we walk through this together, that uh, you, can, you track those as we go along, and, and maybe you can... If, you have paper, you can write it down on paper or hand it in, something like that. And that can be related to the stuff we talk about here or it can be related to something you experience. Um, you know, my spouse can't get out of bed in the morning. What do I do? Whatever. Um, and, and, and what that looks like. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that at the end. I'm going to start out by, now we're not going to do this every week, but I'm going to do it once again. I got a little uh, book giveaway I'm going to do. So this one is called Spurgeon's Sorrows. Realistic help for those who suffer from depression. And so this guy, Zach Eswine, is uh, a pastor who's basically taken writings from uh, Charles Spurgeon and has applied, has taken his writings sort of as encouragement kind of counsel for those who struggle in this way. So the back says Christians should have the answers, shouldn't they? Depression affects many people, both personally and through the ones we love. Depression is not new, though. Indeed, Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression and talked openly about it. And here he draws kind of from Spurgeon's life uh, to share encouragement with us. So I have three copies of this, and anyone who raises their hand, the first three to raise their hands can have a copy. All right. I'm not saying I tracked the first three, but I'm, I, I, I tried. Sure. Uh, but it's a, it's a really helpful little book, and I think one that you will find encouraging. Um, and maybe even be able to share with someone else as well. All right, so today what we're going to do is pretty much lay kind of a theological foundation for where the idea of depression comes from or where we find it in Scripture. As we start, I'm going to um, share a little anecdote with you. Uh, this writer says, I could tell that I was in a downward spiral. One day I said to myself, you know, I understand why people kill themselves. 
this is how they feel. It seems like the only way out. A few days later, I started to wonder how I would end it all, if you know. It wasn't a thought I wanted to have, but Satan was after me. Give him any little chance and he will take it. Things were going in a bad direction at the rate they were going. How long would it be before I was in real danger? Uh, well, that paragraph I just shared is from a man named Phil Riken. Uh, now, you may not know who he is, but Dr. Riken is the president of Wheaton College. Uh, for a number of years, he was the pastor of, I think it's a Second Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I could have the name of that wrong. But the question is, how does a pastor and president of a well-known Christian college uh, struggle with inner darkness to such a degree? In other words, how does someone who knows the scriptures really well, at some level, spends his life sharing that with other people, uh, is a well-known author, leads uh, one of our kind of pre premier evangelical Christian institutions, how does he come to the point where he literally is thinking about ending his life and he has to reach out for help? Well, before we get to that, I just want to say, at one level, I hope that encourages you. So in other words, if this is something that you find yourself at some level battling or struggling with, that it is certainly a sign of our brokenness, but we're all broken in different ways. We just manifest that brokenness differently. And in this case, this is how he manifests it. So as we start, I want to ask you uh, this question. What is the flow of your life? I enjoy biking, or at least I have in a past life. I haven't really since I got to Charleston, primarily because, uh, you know, there are no shoulders on the roads, and you're kind of taking your life into your own hands. So I'm still figuring out how that's going to work when you do have the, the greenway. But other than that, st still, uh, still working on that. I have a very nice bike that very nicely hangs in my garage right now, and at some point, hopefully, we'll get back out. But in prior versions of my life, I spent quite a bit of time on that bike. It's, it's a way I enjoy uh, both getting exercise as well as, honestly, my prayer life is better when I'm biking just because I'm out cruising, riding, and, uh, and talk to the Lord while I do it. So it tends to be very encouraging. But one thing about being on a bike is you quickly notice you're going uphill or downhill. Now, you don't have as much of an issue with that here in Charleston, but there are a, allegedly a few hills around here somewhere. So imagine with me that you're out on this bike, and as you're riding along, uh, pedaling feels very easy, or maybe you don't have to pedal, you're probably going what? Downhill. Right? On the other hand, you might be riding the same bike, and you might even have it in an easier gear, and you are laboring very hard to climb uphill. Uh, so I'm from the, the upstate, and if you ride, I mean, people out west don't even consider them real mountains, but they're real mountains. You know, if you're, if you're riding in the, in the hills, in the upstate, uh, in the Appalachian Mountains, it doesn't take you very long to realize that it's a lot of work to pedal uphill. And very occasionally, you might find yourself on, on a flat, kind of on a, on a, a no grade. We can just kind of cruise. It takes some effort, but, but not a ton of effort. And I, I want us to consider that metaphor, or maybe if, if you do sailing, you know, I don't do sailing, but, you know, into the wind or with the wind, okay? So the flow of our lives at some level is toward something, and kind of the, the premise that I would like to start with this morning is the flow of your life manifests itself uh, in different ways. So for some of us, the flow of our life is toward pride. In other words, pride might be something that we naturally struggle with. Uh, we, we walk into a room, and our first thought is, here, uh, everyone here probably, li probably likes me. Now, some of us walk into that same room and think, no one likes me. Well, two people walk into the same, group of, the same room of people, and they have very different responses. Now, that's not because, you know, one person walks in, 
and everyone kind of glares at them, and the next person walks in, and they, you know, clap with them. At, at some level, it's because there's a flow to kind of, kind of our, our propensity, our, our tendencies. And so pride can manifest itself in kind of a brash, swaggering, chest-thumping kind of a pride, or it can manifest itself in other ways. For, so for some of us, uh, that pride manifests itself in kind of uh, a spiritual, you know, we want to look good externally. A little bit what we talked about this morning, we'll talk about in the next service, but the idea that, you know, there's a respectability to us. And so, uh, so pride manifests itself that way. Or maybe uh, pride might manifest itself by a desire to look competent, uh, to look professional, like you've got it together, like you know what you're doing. And so, you know, when trouble comes, you have a calm demeanor and you can, you can, you can, you can handle it. Or sometimes pride manifests itself in almost a false humility. You want people to think that you're humble, so, you know, you act humble so that people will think you're humble, which is a form of pride. And so pride can manifest itself uh, a number of different ways. Others of us struggle more with fear. And fear also can manifest itself in a lot of ways. So sometimes if you tend to be very anxious or fearful, it might make you controlling. In other words, uh, with, with your children or with a spouse or friend, you get hyper-controlling of someone else because your fear is that anything that gets outside of your control, you, 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 you can't let that happen. You have to be able to control it. And so it manifests itself in this hyper-controlling kind of attitude. Uh, some of us struggle with fear in terms of uh, we're afraid to even talk to other people. And some of that might be kind of like a, a, social, a social fear, but some of it might be you feel like you have nothing to offer them. Or why would anyone even listen to you? Or you get in certain environments and it feels like, uh, you know, why am I here? I don't even have any social skills uh, to be here. Some people have uh, externally very obviously fearful personalities. So they, they kind of talk about their fear and you can kind of see their fear. Some of us manifest that fear in what we might call an inner darkness. And so that's something where at some level you struggle with personally uh, kind of emotional, personal, spiritual darkness, and but you do it in a way where you kind of wear that on your sleeve. Everyone knows you struggle with that. But other people struggle with that same anxiety or that same fear under a veneer of, I've got it together and everything is okay. Now, uh, it's, it's interesting you talk, I, a theory, I don't know if it's a theory, I think it's true, but like kind of every culture has its besetting sins. And so, you know, some cultures might struggle with discontentment. Others might struggle with sort of a, a form of spiritual pride. Some might struggle with materialism or, you know, maybe some of us struggle with all of those things. But uh, at, at one level, something about anxiety and fear is that by definition, it can be difficult to talk about. Because if you're afraid, it's difficult to verbalize that you're afraid. Sometimes pride and fear flow into one another. So sometimes our pride makes us afraid. In other words, we want people to think that we've got it together, and so we're afraid to say that we don't. Or sometimes we're afraid, and so that we kind of have this kind of proud exterior, but on the inside we're broken, and we just can't, we just can't admit it. <clears throat> so the question that we're starting if, off with is, what is the flow of your life? And we can break life down into a lot more than these kind of two categories, pride and fear. But this is kind of the lens we're thinking of it through this morning. And so is the flow of your life one that kind of flows toward pride naturally or one that flows toward fear naturally? 
kind of go back to the biking metaphor, for me, for instance, I don't tend to be super, super anxious. So anxiety isn't the flow of my life. It's, it's not kind of like I'm not, I'm not a worrywart. I don't tend to get down in the dumps. <coughs> in fact, you know, the, I, I used to say it's, it's no longer true because I, th- I think there have been twice in my life where I've experienced some feeling of what you might call depression. Uh, there was one, per- I can tell you when it was, one period in particular where for 90 minutes um, I was so discouraged by some, uh, something I was observing in someone, someone that I cared about that I just remember just like, so almost not being able to like move or do anything just for, for, for 90 minutes. And uh, people I know are like, I wouldn't even call that, I, that doesn't even count. And, and I'm just saying, well, it happened to me one time, and so uh, may, maybe at some level I can understand it, right? Um, whereas uh, other people I know, like they, they, they live their life in that state and like pop out of it almost, pop out of it into kind of normal functioning world. And so based on our makeup or our life experiences, we flow one way or the other. And so at some level, uh, what, what we're talking about here, some of us like live, some of us live there, and others of us kind of by proxy know that it happens. And it might even be two people living in the same house. Uh, Liz, Liz and I kind of joke with each other, you know, the flow of our lives is in opposite directions. I, you know, I can like, everything's good unless I hear that it's not, and other people are like, the sky is falling unless I hear that it isn't falling, you know. And so, so the flow of our lives tends to be in opposite directions. And so some of us kind of flow through life as if everything's good, and others of us flow through life as if everything is terrible and the world is falling apart at all times. But there are other times when circumstances intersect with the flow of our lives. So you're cruising through life, and then you hit a brick wall. And that wall might be a, a, a personal tragedy. It might be betrayal by a friendship. It might be a, a loss of a loved one. It might be some, some sort of thing that you never anticipated, the loss of a job, and suddenly you can't provide for yourself, and even just the ability to you know, have means to do what you would like to do. And this experience is so arresting that you find yourself struggling emotionally and personally with things that you've never experienced before. And you're not equipped to deal with this because the flow of your life has been, hey, I'm good. And now you realize, like, I just, I literally, I, I don't know what to do. And you find yourself bewildered. So whatever the flow of your life is, we also have to grapple with the fact that we have to fight, fight the flow of sin in our lives. And it makes it difficult to diagnose. So some of us struggle with the flow of life in terms of it's just our makeup. So let's say you tend to be more melancholic or perhaps even at some level recognize you're depressed, perhaps you're even on medication for depression or something like that, or you haven't been and now you are, you don't know how to function without it. Well, the difficulty is that sometimes that can be caused by sin, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, 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 it's our makeup. We're just, we're wired differently than someone else. And, and the difficulty is how do we, how, how do we discern, how do we diagnose the difference in those two things? So in other words, Let's just say this. Let's say you're the kind of person that really struggles with anxiety and depression. And let's say I'm the kind of person that doesn't. Does that mean I'm holier than the person that doesn't? No, it doesn't. It just means I'm, I'm wired that way. It means that the flow of my life is towards something else. The flow of your life might be toward kind of that pool of darkness. And the flow of my life feels like, I've heard of that happening to people, but I don't really experience that much. And so... 
based on this, we get into situations and, and we can't at some level even discern our own hearts. Know if it's us broken, if it's us sinning, or if it's just life. And part of that is living in a world that's broken. And so no matter what the flow of our life is toward, whether it's toward pride, the way I've described it, sometimes that could be optimism, or whether it's toward fear, and the way I've described that, sometimes that could be pessimism, and then there are the perfectly balanced ones of you that are right in the you know, realists all the time, you know, perfectly balanced. But Romans 13, 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So one reason I'm describing it in these terms is to help us recognize, okay, what's, in, in other words, where, where's our fight lie? For some of us, it lies on kind of overconfidence, and for others of us, it lies in darkness. And for each of us, the, the flow of our lives is going to have attached to it at some level some, some component of a tendency towards sin. So if you struggle, if, if you feel good when you walk into a room, at some level you're going to struggle with pride, thinking you're better than you are. If you struggle with walking into a room and thinking no one likes you, at some level you're going to struggle with, with fear and even sinful fear. And so as we begin our study together, this morning I just want to lay a foundation by briefly looking together at Isaiah chapter 43. Now Isaiah 43 follows, ironically enough, on the heels of Isaiah chapter 42. Well, what's happened is God's people have been faithless. They have pursued other passions, even idols, and so God is judging them. Well, immediately following this promise of judgment, God makes a beautiful promise to his people, and it's this promise that I want to focus on for a few minutes together this morning. Now, in the coming weeks, we'll see that there, there are times where Scripture either hints at or describes anxiety and depression, but it doesn't articulate depression in the same way that we've kind of diagnosed it clinically today. But Isaiah 43 gives us a category for understanding it, and it's a category that Scripture speaks to quite a bit. So I have Isaiah 43, it's on the screen, or if you've looked it up, that's great. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 4, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with you. So remember, this is in the context of God promising to judge his people. They've rejected God, they've kind of pursued their own ways, and so God promises to judge them. But even for these people, under the promise of judgment, there is a promise of redemption for God's people. Verse 5, fear not, for I have redeemed you. So these are God's redeemed people, and this is an incredible promise. So for God's redeemed people, this promise is theirs. But before we get there, notice what else comes first. Water, river, fire, and flame. Now that sounds absolutely terrible. Now, he's not talking about waters in the sense of kind of a refreshing drink of water. He's talking about you're drowning. You're caught in a flood, and this flood is overwhelming you. On the one hand, there's this promise of God's presence. So no matter what comes, I will be with you. 
But there's also another promise, and this promise is pretty terrifying. And what's that promise? That the, that the fire is going to come. And so you've got these kind of two things together, and one of them is incredibly comforting, but one is incredibly difficult. Now note that, that Isaiah doesn't say this. He doesn't say, if you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What does he say? When. When you go through these times. Now the difficulty, one difficulty is that not everyone experiences these in the same way and not everyone experiences them at the same time. And even when you experience the same circumstance, you experience that circumstance in different ways. And it hits us all in different moments. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be consumed, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. We see two things here. One is that we live in a fallen world where we will endure unimaginably painful trials. That's just a fact of life. This isn't necessarily, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a, a, a promise of God's blessing. It's an observation about what happens in a world that is broken. So when you're young, you think everyone lives forever, but by the time you get a little older, you realize that everyone's going to die. Liz's grandfather is 91, and of his circle of friends, he's, he's like the surviving friend. And so then all of your friends are in their 70s and 80s, which to him is young, because he's, he's entered a time in life where he realizes that like, pretty soon... Like, they are all gone. There's a scene in, it's kind of a cult classic, What About Bob, where, uh, I think his name is Ziggy, uh, Siegfried, the psychologist's son is lying in bed, and he says at night, you're going to die. We're all going to die. In your case, probably much sooner because you're older than I am, Right? And, and, and there, there's, there's a realization, kind of a fatalism that comes with that. that at, I mean, it's all over. And so you've got a Christian college president's like, why not end it now? I mean, it's, gonna, it's going to come anyway. So we all here exist in different flows. Some of us toward pride, some of us toward fear, and some of us toward some, you know, somewhere on the spectrum in between. But one thing that is true of all of us, and that is that we will un endure unimaginably painful trials. There, there's, there's no one here that gets accepted from this. There's no one here that gets a free pass. You could have 60 blissful years of marriage, but it's going to end. You could have two years of heartache, and it ends differently, but either way, the pain, the pain is going to come. And so we have this promise that we live in a fallen world, and so we're going to endure unimaginably painful trials, but there is a second promise here, and it's this that gives us hope. God will never leave you alone there. You'll be in the middle of a trial, but God will never leave his people alone in the middle of the trial. So why does God say, when you pass through the rivers, when you walk through the waters, when you pass through the flame, and then he says this weird thing, don't be afraid. How is it that you can walk through these unimaginably painful things, these unimaginably painful experiences, these trials, go through it and not be afraid? It's because God will never leave you there alone. He walks through the fire with you. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, he's, he's sending out his disciples. And he's sending, he says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible for, for Jesus to send his disciples to send a sheep out to a wolf pack. He says, beware, for men will deliver you over and they will flog you. You'll be dragged before governors and kings. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So on the one hand, there is a promise that difficult times will come. But on the other hand, there's a promise that God will be with us no matter what comes our way. Now pause right here, and some of us right now are focused on one of those two things. Some of us hear the promise of difficult times, and that feels overwhelming because we're living, I mean, that's where we live. Other of us hear the, pro- the promise, and we're pretty encouraged by that, and that reveals something about the flow of your life right now, doesn't it? And at some level reveals about how you, it reveals something to you about how you're experiencing the circumstances that you're in. But it also reveals something because when I hear fire, flame, like drowning in water, that sounds really terrible to me. Like to desire that would be a little bit masochistic, wouldn't it? It'd be a, almost suicidal to want that. So to hear that, to experience some level of difficulty, hardship, and depression because of that, reveals that we're human because we are all going to have these experiences in common. But there's another thing, and it's something that we're going to hit over and over again over the next several weeks, is that some of it reveals our level of expectation. So let's say this. If you enter into marriage or relationship and all you ever expect is pure bliss, what are you set up for? Major disappointment, right? Unless, uh, I don't mean to insult your spouse, but I mean, I actually think that's just a a reality of life. Like if all you expect is, you know, roses and, you know, puppy dog tails and like happiness, like it's hard work. It's it's a serious commitment. And sometimes like you have to focus on the commitment of that. There, There are days when it's, when it's good and you're flowing, but then you hit a wall and it's like that brick wall is that person I live with, right? And that's, that's just hard. And so if we walk into marriage and all we expect is eternal bliss, and then what we get is not that, then what does it do? It sets us up for disappointment. And so at some level, how we respond to what we've just read reveals what we believe about life in this world, reveals what we believe is normal in a Christian life. So there, there are, there's teaching out there. And it it focuses on true things in the word of God that says God is going to bless you. God is going to give you a life far beyond anything that you can imagine. God is going to uh, make make you happy. Are those things true? Well, yeah, they're true at some level, but they're not the only thing that's true. Those things are true where? Ultimately in heaven, right? We, We don't get them today. We get little tastes of them today. We get little glimpses of them today. But we also get a lot of other promises like this one. And really the promise for the Christian life is that we're going to walk through very difficult times. 
but also God's going to walk through those times with us. And that's really, that's really the promise. And, and one day, we'll get to the other side. I was reading this morning in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes there and he says, work out your own salvation. And how does he say to do it? Do you remember? With fear and trembling. Like, come on, dude. That's not okay. With fear and trembling. Like, is God going to do this? And then, he, and then he, does, he does this remarkable thing. He says, work out your own salvation. So, like, there's this struggle and you better do it with fear and trembling. And then right after that, he makes a promise. Do you remember what the promise is? For it is God who works in you to do his good pleasure. And so there is this tension, and it's this tension we live. It's, it's, um, it's the we have it, but we don't have it. It's the already, but, we, but it's not yet. And it's that we receive amazing promises from God. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to care for you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. But the difficult thing is there are going to, feel, there are going to be moments when you feel like I have. Because you're going to look around and you're going to feel all alone in this world. There are going to be times in this, in, where, where it's so dark and, you're, and you're, you're locked in the middle of this darkness. And you're going to feel like you're alone. And the only thing you have to cling to in that moment isn't your experience, isn't the people around you. It is, will you believe what I've told you is true? That when you walk through the flame, I will be with you. So in terms of our expectations, I guess I'm just saying we had to set the level of our expectation at this level that we are all going to experience difficult times, which hopefully doesn't depress you, but it's just a fact of life that, that, that they're coming. So it reveals to us our expectations, but it also, thirdly, it reveals to us our view of God. So we all encounter life, and we'll call, it, we'll call the life the fire. So the fire is losing a child. The fire is losing a spouse. The fire is living with a spouse that's hard to live with. The fire is not getting a spouse. The fire is not having children. The fire is losing a job. The fire is having a a design for your academics or your career, and it's unfulfilled. The fire is some level of conflict that you didn't anticipate. Like, life is fire. Life is headaches tomorrow. It's it's, uh, it's work that's frustrating. It's kids that are frustrating. It's, it's, ju- it's just, it's life. Life is fire, but in the midst of this fire, God is with you. And so one thing that our experience with life reveals to us is this, is the fire big or is our view of God big? Because both things are realities. We will walk through flame and God will walk through those flames with us. So imagine that you are Daniel and you're in a lion's den. So you're, you're, you're surrounded by ravenously starving lions. In that moment, are the lions really big and scary, or is the fact that your God is there protecting you? Is, is, is that bigger? Is that more present in your life right then? Or to take uh, another example from the life of Daniel, if you're... Er, from the book of Daniel, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you're thrown into a fiery furnace, right? So when, when they were tossed in there, God's word tells us that the men who tossed them in died because it was so hot. And yet they're tossed in, and the only thing that gets burned on them is the ropes that are binding them. Is, is the flame bigger, or is their God bigger? And throughout history, really the church has had to grapple with this. Is our view of God bigger, or is our view of our circumstances bigger? 
And I want to um, tell you a story now about a few of those. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel the Lion's Den, you've probably heard of. I don't know if you know about these people. So who knows who Bloody Mary is? It's not a drink. Now, some of you, it's, I know, some of you are like, I, I know who Bloody Mary is. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, personal history, Mary the First, Queen of England. So she's in a line, a family that's, that's actually the reason that uh, England became, that became a part of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so her daddy was King Henry VIII. Now, Henry VIII had a bunch of wives because he was trying to have a, a male heir. And having these wives, he had more daughters. He had one son. So when Henry VIII dies, he's left the Roman Catholic Church, not because he's such a, a godly man, but because um, he wants to get remarried and the Catholic Church won't let him. And so he says, fine, I'll, I'll do it my own way. And so then he, he remarries, keeps remarrying, and he has uh, a son, finally, becomes King Edward VI. Now, Edward is uh, friendly to Christians, friendly to Protestants, but his sister, Mary, is not. Edward reigns a very short time, and then his sister, Mary, becomes queen. And when she becomes queen, uh, her father and her brother had said, you guys can worship in other ways. And she says, no, no, no. And so she begins killing people. And that's why she becomes Bloody Mary, because of all the people that she killed. Well, there were two, uh, two pastors, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, who were there in England at this time. Now, Nicholas Ridley was uh, her dad's chaplain, a chaplain to Henry VIII, and also the Bishop of London. He was a faithful man. He had nightly devotions with his family, and he was loved by his congregation. Hugh Latimer was also an influential preacher under uh, Henry's son, Edward. And he emphasized the idea that we ought to serve God with our whole heart, not just externally. Well, they come out um, under Mary, and, and they're placed in prison. Well, after being imprisoned in the Tower of London, they're brought out for a trial. Now, it's not really a trial. They're just going to be executed, they, but they get this kind of show of a trial. And so they say that Christ is the only way. Mary is angry at this, and so she burns them at the stake. And so uh, they uh, burn Ridley first, but as they burn him, the, the wood that they put up against the stake that he's tied to is green and wet. And so it doesn't burn quickly. And so as he's there, he dies very slowly, as in his bottom half is burning, but his top half is not. So it's a very long, slow, uh, painful death. And so he says something kind of famous. He says, Lord, have mercy on this realm of England. Then he says, into my hands, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. And so as he is uh, burning there, he's, he's crying out, Lord, have mercy. I cannot burn. Let the fire come. I cannot burn. And so he's, he's literally passing through literal flames, and he, he wants them to come because it's, it's such a slow, agonizing experience. And so uh, a person who's there watching is, is uh, grieved by this and actually goes up and actually places flames on the top of his body so he can actually die because he's, he's just kind of there suffering. Well, his friend uh, Latimer died much more quickly, and as the flames rose there, he said to his friend Nicholas Ridley, he said, be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. Now, imagine if you're the guy dying slowly, it's a little bit hard to hear in this moment, like, okay, dude, like, you know, you're getting the easy pass here. And he said, we shall light this day such a candle that by God's grace, I trust, shall never be put out. Well, these men died there, one slowly, one quickly that day. But today there's a monument to them in Oxford, England. And what they died for that day 
within a relatively short period of time would be able to be freely practiced in England. Eventually, we ourselves are heirs to the faith that these men died for. Now it can be freely practiced in England and freely practiced here. And so I share that to say that at some level we're all passing through a fire, but it's you know, of, of varying degrees. These men passed through a, a literal fire where they literally died for their faith. There's a promise that difficult times will come. And so it's no surprise to you because you've are, you're already walking through those or have walked through those times. Those times look different for all of us, but they come to every one of us. And so as we do this, I want us to consider that as we walk through these times, there is a promise that the time will come. There's also a promise that God will walk through us, walk with us through this trial. So no matter what comes our way, and it will come, God will be with us. So I said at the beginning, Scripture doesn't directly address the idea of depression. But Scripture does address over and over and over again suffering. And at some level, depression is a form of suffering. It's a subcategory of suffering. So these men, we don't know if they were struggling with emotional darkness, but they literally suffered, were burned. Well, at some level, all of us here will experience suffering. That's really what we're talking about, right? Is, is flames, difficult times. And, the, and that suffering hits all of us in different spots. So in the coming weeks, as, as we walk through this, what we're going to look at is really trying to define at some level how we cope with emotional suffering. Because anxiety and depression, so fear is kind of like the front edge of that, and that's kind of what we call that. So all of us at some level struggle with fears. Not everyone here will struggle with depression, but somewhere on the spectrum we're all going to uh, struggle to cope with this. And the question is, how is it that God's people cope with emotional suffering? How do we cope with psychological or spiritual suffering? And so as we do this, Hopefully, we'll find uh, both help for ourselves and, and help for other people. So, like I said, next week, we'll get into kind of more the, uh, some more technical aspects, defining these terms. But this week is pretty much uh, what I got for us. Any, uh, any questions as we, as we close here? Silence reigns. Yeah, so, the, um, so I, I gave uh, one book away earlier, Spurgeon Sorrows. It's not really, it's not, it's not so much a look at diagnosing, um, but it's, it's encouragement for depression. Probably the best book, and it's one I'm going to give away in a couple weeks for um, diagnosing and counseling, is a book. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's depression, but then the subtitle is something about darkness. I can't remember. It's by Ed Welch, Depression by Ed Welch. Um, it's an excellent book. Uh, on the more general topic of suffering, Tim Keller has a great book on trusting God in times of pain and suffering. Um, but uh, Ed Welch's book is the best kind of counseling book that I would know uh, for that. I think a guy named David Pallison has an excellent book on depression as well. Uh, Spurgeon's Sorrows. Um, and the guy's name is Zach. S-Y-N-E-S-W-I-N-E. So you guys will know in a couple of weeks, you know, you'll have your hands up, you know, at the beginning. So we give that one away.
All right, well, thanks for coming this morning. I hope you have a chance to meet or hang out with someone that you don't normally, and uh, we'll pick up here next week, and we'll get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of what this looks like. Let me close this in prayer. God, we do thank you for your word. I thank you that it speaks to every area of our lives, including how we can deal with uh, anxiety. And so, God, I pray that you will help us and encourage us in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.